What's up, everyone? Just say thank you for tuning in today. If you enjoy the show, enjoy the content, just please make sure to rate, subscribe, and follow the page on Instagram at Overcoming the Divide. Thank you. Welcome back, everyone, for another episode of Overcoming the Divide. Today, we have on a spectacular guest, the Honorable Tony Clement. Before entering federal politics, Clement served as a cabinet minister for Ontario, which included the Minister of Health and Long-Term Care. Clement went on to win the 2006 federal election, serving as a conservative parliamentary member until 2018. During that time, Clement was appointed to the Minister of Health, as well as the Minister of Industry, and went on to become the president of the Treasury Board. So once again, thank you for being here, Clement. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's uh, certainly my honor to be part of your program, Daniel. Honor for you to be a guest here. So for everyone listening today, we're going to be discussing the Freedom Trucker Convoy and the invoking of the Emergencies Act of 1988. So my first question for you is, what do you believe has brought us to this moment? Because there was mass amounts of protesters in the Capitol, as well as truckers, before this Emergencies Act of 1988 was invoked. So what, like, why now? What changed, do you believe, over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I mean, I think the the thing that really sort of brought it to a boil was a combination of the fact that uh, basically uh, the trucker protests in Ottawa were going into their third week. Uh, So it was not just a protest. It was uh, it was uh, they were sort of occupying the street in front of the parliament building. So that was the first thing. I think the thing that really put it over the edge, though, was when they blocked the border. Uh, the Detroit-Windsor border at the Ambassador Bridge. I think that that uh, had huge impacts on our supply chain. Uh, There were uh, auto plants on both sides of the border that had to shut down because they couldn't get the parts to assemble uh, automobiles. And so this was was having a big impact on the economy. So I think that uh, ultimately uh, that was an indication that unless something was done, uh, these protests would continue and indeed grow. Um, now, the the irony of the situation is, by the time they invoked the Emergencies Act, the federal government uh, of Justin Trudeau, uh, the uh, blockage at the border was done. And uh, so now the big debate has been, uh, was this necessary or could they have dealt with the protesters and the blockaders in a different way that did not require invoking special police powers and special investigatory powers and special financial confiscation powers that are found in the Emergency Act. So that's that's where the big debate is right now. Do you think that when uh, President Biden called Prime Minister Trudeau, as you mentioned, because of the supply chain issues that these um, protests and blockades caused, do you believe that was like the pinnacle point, that phone call really turned the tides of how uh, the prime minister was hand- going to handle this? I think that was part of it, which is kind of embarrassing. I got to tell you, that, you know, you're, you're, you're a sovereign country and the best, uh, the best excuse the prime minister could have for invoking the Emergency Act was, well, President Biden told me to do it. You know, that's not, that's not really usually a winning argument in Canada. I got to be honest with you, when, you're, when, when you say the Americans told me I had to do this, that's not usually a winning argument. But uh, realistically, uh, I think we were all concerned about the border and uh, the shutdown at the border. Uh, you, you know, I think that was a, 
that was something that protesters, whether it was organized or whether it was just something uh, at the scene that they decided to do, that was very ill-considered. So you think that was a mistake of theirs? by? Yeah, I think tactically it was a mistake. I think more people, uh, there's there's a high degree of... um, you know, the, the, this is this has been followed very closely by Canadians. Ninety percent of Canadians have been following the story, and I think a high percentage of Americans have been following the story too. It's got gotten a lot of play on Fox and CNN and so on. So, so I think that uh, when when the border uh, crossing at the Ambassador Bridge, which is well very well known in Ontario, when that was affected. It meant that the Ontario government, which is not of the same political stripe as the as the Liberal government in Ottawa, said, "Hey, you know, Ottawa, we got to do something about this. This is affecting our supply chain and affecting our factories." Uh, that was, I think, the tipping point. Again, the irony being, but by the time they got around to declaring the Emergencies Act and debating it, uh, they were already clearing out the protesters at the Ambassador Bridge between uh, Detroit and Windsor. How do you contend with the dichotomy that Prime Minister Trudeau, Trudeau, excuse me, may have gone too far, but the majority of Canadians are not in favor of the truckers' cause as a whole or their methods? Yeah, and you know that's that's a good point. And indeed, uh, the the fact is that you know the reason we have civil liberties is not for the protests you like; it's for the protests you don't like. Uh, like if if 90% of Canadians agreed with the protesters, then the government would have to think twice about invoking the emergencies legislation and suspending civil liberties. It's it's when you're dealing with a cause that that uh, is less is not as popular that uh, that our civil liberties should be there to protect that kind of dissent, all within the bounds of the law, you know, and and that's. Uh, you can you can certainly make the case that blockading a border or blockading Parliament Hill, uh, again, those are things that should not have been done. Um, but it was it was nonviolent. Even with that, it was nonviolent protest and dissent. And we've had other examples: uh, the BLM movement and uh, other uh, other uh, forms of protest uh, that. Uh, that uh, you can you can point to and say you know this is in the same realm as that, um, but I, I think that um, what's happening over time is that there is more support for the goals of the protest than initially, uh, even initially that when the truckers were on their way to Ottawa people would line the highways and bridge overpasses and, and cheer the truckers on because they, they represented a fatigue with the continued lockdowns and other COVID emergency measures that people were just sick and tired of. And I, I think that that point of view is still alive. And, and in fact, is, is, uh, is uh, reinforced by what governments have what have governments been doing the last three weeks while the trucker protest protests have been going on they've been lifting the restrictions uh so i think that they were representing popular opinion on that issue uh the last polling i saw on the emergencies act showed that a bare majority of canadians were in favor of the emergencies act uh, to be invoked against the the trucker protest uh, and so it was not, it's not clear to me 
that people are comfortable with special police powers, uh, etc. And now that the the blockade has been not only cleared at the borders, but also cleared in front of the parliament buildings. And just today, as we are recording this this item, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau said, well, we've got to keep the emergency legislation in effect, even when there is no blockade anymore, there is no protest in the in front of the parliament buildings anymore, but we've got to keep the Emergencies Act in place just in case they decide to blockade again. People are getting very concerned about this. The Canadian Civil Liberties Association is taking the government to court. The province of Alberta is taking the government to court. Uh, there are voices being raised as we as we record this that are saying, you know, this is this is going on too far. We we value our civil civil liberties in this country. You know, a lot of soldiers fought and died for them. Uh, and uh, and we, we don't want to see it just invoked because the government is inconvenienced by protesters that they, that they don't agree with. So you know, this, this is an unfolding story. We, we haven't seen the last of the story for sure. What do you think of Prime Minister Trudeau's comments referring to that government officials who are dissenting on this invoking of the Emergencies Act? that they do not trust the government to act in authority or say with them competence, something to that effect, that they don't pretty much trust the government to do the right thing. I was very disturbed by that. I mean, we have a parliamentary system in Canada. Uh, it means that you have an official opposition. The Conservative Party of Canada in this case is the official opposition. Their duty and responsibility is to hold the government to account and where they think it is advisable to dissent and vote against government policy. That's what an opposition does. And so for him to say, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, but to say basically you're, you're supporting, uh, you know, uh, terrorism uh, it, because you're voting against the legislation uh, is, is outrageous. But it is typical of this prime minister, I must say, who at the start of this protest basically characterized all of the protesters, 100% of them, as being misogynistic uh, white supremacists, when clearly that was not the case. There were some outliers who were uh, hate-filled and, uh, and should be condemned. But uh, as I said, the people lining the highways, waving Canadian flags, supporting the convoy on the way to Ottawa, they were soccer moms, okay? They were, they were normal people who were fed up with, uh, with the mandates and uh, who were fed up with their kids being yanked out of school because uh, the schools were being shut down or fed up with the mask mandates for their kids uh, and all the, uh, the negative uh, health effects, uh, mental health effects of that. So to, to characterize any dissenter as someone who doesn't like democracy or, or is a white supremacist, I, I think that's pretty outrageous. And it, and it, serves to further divide Canadians. And almost to justify that kind of uh, action in terms of... Yeah, that's a good point. It, it, you know, when, when you're, all your opponents are, are white supremacist, racist terrorists, then, then of course, you know, you mm-hmm. got to support the government. But, uh, and this is, a, this is a, let me just speak tactically for a second. I mean, this is a mistake that Mr. Trudeau made right from the get-go, where he did characterize the, uh, 
the uh, convoy protesters that way. So then he he was in a in a corner. He was in he boxed himself in. He couldn't meet with them because why would a self-respecting prime minister, leader of a country, meet with white supremacist racists and misogynists? By the way, that was the other epithet. So um, yeah, I mean there was no way out. He 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 gave himself no room to diffuse the situation through talking, uh, no room at all. And uh, I think that was a, a huge tactical error on his part. You spoke to the, the people lying the highways, such soccer moms and being fed up with the school closures and mandates. Can you go into a little more of those stark differences between say the United States in terms of COVID policy and generally speaking and Canada's response to it? Well, that's a very interesting question because as usual, Canadians many times define themselves in opposition to the Americans uh, and, and not necessarily in opposition to American policy. Like we're both members of NATO. We fought side by side in, in World War I and World War II. Uh, there's a lot of things that hold us together. But uh, it, is a f it is a psychological fact that Canadians have at the same time a sense of superiority uh, and also a feeling uh, that they are, uh, that they're always treated as lesser than vis-a-vis -vis the Americans. So for two years, uh, the narrative in Canada has been, look at those crazy Americans with their, with their lack of concern about COVID and you know, we're, we're, we're locked down way better than they are. And therefore our death rate is, is lower and therefore our COVID cases are lower, but it's, it's like a free for all in America. Look at Florida, uh, you know, look at Texas, uh, you know, we're, we're better than them and we're protecting our people better than them. That was the first two years. Then I got to say like, uh, not everybody. I mean, it, there is this continued debate and there are people in Canada that want restrictions seemingly forever. Uh, and my definition of forever is waiting for COVID to disappear, which it ain't going to do. Uh, so what happened in the last few months has been, oh my, there was a concern when Governor DeSantis in Florida and the governor of Texas and others lifted mandates. And, you know, some Canadians say, oh, look how ridiculous and crazy they are. And then of course, COVID rates in the United States plummet. And, you know, we have the visual images of the, uh, of the, the college football games and then the Super Bowl. And there's like 110,000 people in a stadium. Nobody's wearing a mask. It's not as if it was a super spreader event. And so some Canadians, uh, you know, a, a large minority, at least of Canadians are saying, you know, why are we still in half empty arenas or and closed music halls and uh, why can't we gather more than 100 people at a time uh, why are we masked up to the extent you know it, it's it's this give and take with the u.s policy that has dr driven public reaction in canada i'd have to say as you spoke to it earlier you said fatigue almost which almost everyone's feeling i feel like globally it's just some people probably felt it faster than others yeah yeah i um, know and i think that's a good point and, and you know obviously the response to fatigue is saying well you may be tired of covid but covid ain't tired of you and i get that but at some point you have to live with it like it's here it ain't going away uh, and with the omicron variant millions and millions of canadians have gotten covid now 
Uh, so uh, are we going to live locked up in our houses forever? How, do, how does an economy work that way? And how does mental health work that way? So I think more and more Canadians, just as more and more Americans are saying, okay, well, we tried our best. Uh, you know, we've got, we got vaccines. Uh, it, the vaccines seem to help to reduce the risk and reduce the, uh, the symptoms. Let's open everything up and move on with our lives. And uh, I think that's becoming the Canadian consensus too. A little bit late, but still there. Yeah, it might just take a little more time overall. So um, back to the, the original calls, or back to Prime Minister Trudeau invoking the Emergencies Act. So I was saying that, or we were talking that this may be a cause for more people who, on the right, and more people on the right may sympathize with it. But do you believe it's also crucial that people from across the political spectrum come out to the analysis because of how this is almost a weapon, weaponization of banks and uh, almost you could describe it as financial warfare against protesters. Yeah, and I think that's going to happen because, as I said, uh, Mr. Trudeau has made it clear that the, the Emergencies Act legislation is going to still be in force even when there's no threat to the Parliament of Canada or to our border crossings. So what is the agenda going on here? People are already reacting to that vociferously. And uh, I believe that it, it is more than just con small C conservatives who are reacting to this now. Uh, Trudeau had the first major break in his own caucus where liberal members of parliament, two of them, uh, started to say, look, this is getting too divisive. The language of the prime minister using, is using is too divisive. We've got to learn somehow to lower the temperature and have a decent discussion here. Uh, and that hadn't happened. That had not happened before within his caucus, so that was new. Uh, he's getting support from the Socialist Party here, the New Democratic Party, uh, for his emergencies legislation, but the other parties are voting against it. Uh, and uh, as I said, there you've got provincial premiers who said uh, I, you know, that they, they want no part in this. So uh, I think it is going to be a black mark on Mr. Trudeau, and uh, much to his chagrin the usual suspects in American politics who would normally be backing their, their, uh, their Saint Trudeau are, you know, they're, they're taking it out on them and saying, this is, this is a bridge too far. And, and uh, you know, I, the, the craziest one was Ilhan Omar uh, tweeting about the, how it's unacceptable uh, the use of force in Ottawa and that uh, the uh, Canadian media was doxing people who had donated to the trucker cause. And she found that to be unacceptable. When you've got, Il when you've got progressive icon Ilhan Omar not on your side and you purport to be a progressive icon, that's problematic. New York Times editorial, uh, you know, Wall Street Journal editorial, Washington Post editorial, like he's he's getting hammered by the very people that uh, he felt were always on his side and had been always on his side until this moment. So it's a th this is something that he's going to wear. Uh, and I have this saying for politics. It's true in American politics. It's true in Canadian politics. It's true everywhere. People will vote for change, but they won't vote for chaos and they will punish the guy in charge if they find it chaotic. Uh, Mr. Trump had this problem, I believe, uh, and I believe Mr. Trudeau is is having the same problem. He's in charge when there's a chaotic situation. People don't like that, 
and uh, they, they, they're willing to vote for change. But if, if you're in charge and there's chaos happening, that's, uh, that's on you. Uh, so I think that's the moment that Mr. Trudeau faces right now. It's very interesting saying that I believe is true that we saw also in the United States over the past ele- recent elections with the whole defund the police movement and even former President Obama coming out to say that these catchy taglines were not positive, but not a positive yeah. mark on the Democratic Party. And to get, I guess, to coincide both of those, how do you think the U.S. plays a role in regards to these events, whether it be the politics, the media coverage, or the support their protesters have received from U.S. citizens? Yeah, and that's been weaponized, certainly, by the opponents of the truckers saying that there's this undue influence by uh, U.S. uh, donors to the truckers. Um, I would note, uh, and that's fair enough. That, that, that is something that should be debated in our, in our country. But I would also note that these same people were, were silent when uh, progressive forces in the United States donated to environmental causes in Canada in order to shut down our pipelines uh, because they were against uh, our pipelines. So, uh, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander here. Uh, if you're saying no U.S., uh, no U.S. funds in Canadian politics. Where were you during the environmental debates? So that that has to be discussed in this country more. I, I would have to say, uh, U.S. Uh, again, Canadians, uh, they they the 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 knock uh, that Canadians have sometimes on American politics and media is that we we nobody pays attention to us. We're just like this quiet neighbor. Uh, that that American American media and politics pays no attention to, do. so it, it's kind of titillating for us when Amer- American media and politicians are paying attention. They, we kind of find that pretty cool because it's so rare, right? Um, so I think we're in that period right now. I think the only other time in recent memory where that happened was when uh, Mayor Rob Ford of Toronto was found, you know drugging it up with cocaine and goodness knows what else. And that became a big U.S. story, uh, if you recall. Um, but th- since that was over 10 years ago, and since then, this has become the big, the big Canadian story, not in a good way. And uh, so uh, I think uh, as I try to articulate, when Americans talk about and react to Canadian stories, that automatically has an impact on how Canadians view the story. And the fact that the trucker protest has been kind of weaponized in American politics, you know, if you're for the truckers, you're Republican and you watch Fox. And if you're against the truckers, you're a Democrat and you watch CNN. uh, You know, I think that does, you know, it obviously has an impact on on the U.S. debate on on uh, mandates and uh, restrictions. And uh, and then it just sort of blows back and forth across the border. Uh, basically, uh, a lot of times in U.S., whatever is interesting or innovative in U.S. politics or becomes the uh, de rigueur to talk about in U.S. politics, give it two or three years, it'll become Canadian politics. And again, Canadians were self-satisfied. Oh, we don't have the division that the Americans have. And look at January 6th and how terrible that was. And we're better than Americans because we, we are more tolerant of each other's views. All of that has been blown away. You know, it's, it's become a, a, false, uh, a, a false narrative that Canadians don't believe anymore. 
And, uh, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's no question that all of this is having an impact. Well, the Canadian protests in the capital have also seen protests now in Israel and New Zealand, and I believe other places as well. So mm-hmm. the trucker convoy almost inspired other people to go in their respective countries and protest the whether it be a vaccine mandate or COVID mask restrictions or whatever that may be. So do you think that you mentioned earlier that it may not be overwhelmingly popular within the general populace, but at least a sub- substantial minority of people around the world globally are feeling this way about this, say, COVID fatigue or just overall how the right. government's handling uh, the pandemic at this point and not treating it like an endemic, as certain experts are saying it should be uh, looked at. as Right. And that's the other thing, too. The, 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 uh, the politicians here say follow the science. And when the science says it's endemic, and you got to learn to live with it. And they're not following the science anymore. It's like, mm-hmm. what, what is going on here? So that's part of it. And uh, yes, I, I believe that, I mean, we have taken note that it has triggered other convoy protest movements around the world, because you're right. You're absolutely right. There's fatigue. And I think that that is, there's a, a large number of Canadians who are tired. There's a slightly smaller number of Canadians that want all of the uh, mandates to end. And then there's a smaller number of Canadians who support the, the, not only the message, but the methods of the trucker convoys. So it's like, you know, you have to pick what, which one you're talking about. But I think that is the case right now. I believe it was a polling agency. I don't think it was Leger. It was Ipsos, uh, Epsos, I believe it was I- Ipsos, yeah. Ipsos, Ipsos, yeah. Thank you. And they said that or their polling found of... Um, thousand canadians 18 years plus that it really came down to support age groups and also region within canada and they actually found that people between the ages of 18 to 34 were actually more supportive or sympathetic to the truckers cause rather than people who are older which almost seems kind of backwards in terms of american politics because people who are older here are more likely to be against the restrictions and P- or against the government's response as a whole, whether it be like vaccine mandates and compared to people who are younger, who are more understanding of the response. So do- I think it's partially deference to authority uh, that older Canadians uh, defer to authority a little bit more. And so when, when the scientist, the top scientist comes out in your case, Fauci, in our case, Dr. Teresa Tam, and say, we need these uh, restrictions um, to protect people. There's a lot of deference to that kind of authority. Uh, But you're absolutely right that the big thing that is different is 18 to 34s in this country, not only supporting the ending of restrictions, but supporting the truckers, which is, uh, that is very, very unusual. And, uh, you know, a conservative, conservative party here in Canada has, it's been tough for them to get the attention of 18 to 34s. And, you know, there's been a lot of um, clut, uh, clutching of pearls that, you know, we're, we're, we're conservatives are dead as a movement because we, we're going to age out, uh, you know, 18 to 34s are never going to listen to our message. Well, guess what? They're listening to the message of freedom now. And, uh, and Trudeau, who relied on the 18 to 34s to get into power in 2015, they were a huge part of the reason he won that election. Now they're abandoning him in droves. This, this is, again, a huge turning point in Canadian politics. Now, moving forward, how do you think Trudeau goes about this? When do you think he ends it? Like, if you're in his shoes and you're like, 
hell and he probably realizes that this is pretty much a mess of all sorts so if you're in his shoes and you're the prime minister how do you think you would go forward in trying to get out of this with as much harm as possible both politically and both for like the morale of the country you know i think he's uh, the first stage of that is to for him to realize the the reality of the position he's in because i don't think he does i i think he thinks that this is a popular move that it uh, that he's doing what you know that something that uh, the country wants to see happen and um and so he's going to have to be jolted out of that space where uh, he thinks he's on the side of the angels and anybody who opposes him is on the side of uh, Satan. And uh, so that, that will have to occur first. And uh, I think uh, as Canadians sour on the use of the emergencies legislation, that could be a turning point. It could be other members of his party walking away from him saying, saying this is wrong, you know, because it used to be way before you were born uh, you know, when you talked about liberals, they were the ones who were supporting civil liberties and supporting dis- the right to dissent, Vietnam or, or civil rights or what have you, uh, sit-ins and protests, uh, occupying campus buildings. That was that was the '60s and the and the '70s, and now the purporting inheritor of that. Uh, and the Liberal Party of Canada is is 180 degrees in the other direction. There are going to be liberals, I believe, who are going to who are quite concerned about that right now, and uh, they could prevail upon him. Or if he's stubborn, um, who knows? I mean, uh, the Conservative Party lost their leader in the middle of all this. Uh, their leader, uh, Aaron O'Toole, uh, was ejected basically from the leadership by his caucus in a caucus revolt. That happened in week one of the trucker protest. And um, so who am I to uh, discount the idea that, uh, that Mr. Trudeau might face a similar situation if he's not careful? And O'Toole, he was ejected, as you put, because conservatives saw him as, say, too weak on these types of issues, that he was maybe giving too much into the majority party of um parliament yeah i mean he uh, he won the leadership as a true blue conservative blue in our in our country is is a good conservative color mm-hmm. uh so uh he he ran as a true blue conservative and then immediately tacked to the left for the election purposes of the election and continued tacking to the left post-election uh and i understand what he was trying to do he he was somewhat maladroit in doing it, and eventually, uh, if you don't have con- in our system, if you lose control of your caucus, you're out. I mean, it is you know you will be a caucus of one if you're not careful. So they had a, they had a vote, and they they voted uh, to uh, relieve him of his leadership responsibilities. And so now we as conservatives are in a leadership race uh, that'll probably culminate later on this year. Uh, and uh, I would predict. Uh, there's a candidate named Pierre Polyev who uh, is a very good speaker, and uh, he's definitely a conservative conservative. And I, I think he's got the inside track on on winning that leadership as a result of all this. You mentioned earlier, which I want to um, get back to, that liberals before were support of dissent, whether it be like 
uh, mm -hmm. methods of occupation or say like sit-ins as I just mentioned or anything of that nature. But now it seems that anything that, at least in Canada, but I also say in the United States as well, anything that is not say relative to their cause is pretty much demonized in in Canada, in the capital, you said, um, or Prime Minister Trudeau said himself that these people are terrorists. And then once you put that label on a group of people, it almost you you don't treat them with the, the respect or like as a citizen as you would el uh, otherwise. And how do you do you believe that's a dangerous trend? These labels of people, whether it be for calls on the left or the right, once you do go down that road, once you take someone's almost humanity away from them you could justify the means to say end or put end to their cause yeah i mean i i go back to voltaire who, who famously said i disagree with what you say but i'll defend to the death your right to say it we, we're a long way in cancel culture from that ideal these days mm -hmm. and so the way ca cancel culture seems to work now is i disagree with what you say therefore you have no right to say it and I'm going to make sure you're deplatformed and make sure you can't uh, use social media and make sure that you're fired from your job. And oh, my word, you know, we're, we're, we're in this strange Kafka-esque world right now uh, from the progressive left um, who are dominating our campuses and high schools and, uh, and even bureaucracy in some cases. So uh, that's, that's where we are. And uh, I, I believe that uh, there are you know, forces at work to react to that and say how unreasonable that is and how that, that belies the ideals that our veterans fought and died for in world wars and, and elsewhere. And, um, you know, we've got a couple of, uh, you know, very interesting spokespeople. I, I think of Jordan Peterson, who's a Canadian, uh, very famous, as you know, and uh, he's been outspoken on, on these issues now as well. And uh, others are starting to speak up. And um, I believe that uh, that will have a, a big impact on our politics. But uh, it's hard for me to understand where liberalism has so changed. And the other part about it is uh, how they're disassociating themselves with working class people. This, this protest was a working class person's protest. It wasn't the elites. It wasn't the highfalutin politicians. It was truckers and, and people that, that worked with their hands. And the, that should be the bread and butter of progressives and liberals. But they're, they're so far away from that group now. It's, they, they're in a different zip code. So uh, literally and figuratively, perhaps. So, so I, I think that that's a huge mistake on their part, but uh, I think conservatives will do a better job of representing the working class than liberals will ever do. But uh, yeah, what a turn of events. Well, it's almost that this is true in American politics too, that used to be focused on class and class was the dividing factor, but now right. it seems that it is now focused on politics. So and culture. Could, 
and cultures. So we could be of say the same socioeconomic class, but if we vote differently, then I may look at you or you may look at me as a adversary, as a rival, as someone you don't want to be around. Whereas before it was looked as, okay, the elites of the country are pinned against the working class people and vice versa. But now it's almost manipulated by, I don't know how it got to this point, but I would use the word manipulated to the point where it's not against it's not a class thing anymore. It's like identity politics thing and not identity politics in terms of race, identity politics in terms of liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat. And, yeah. And I, it's being, it's being commented on by some liberal journalists. I think of Matt Taibbi and uh, I think of Glenn Greenwald and, and some of these folks who come from a more class-based uh, dialogue and who are bemoaning the fact that progressivism in the United States is doesn't care about class anymore. They care about culture and how, uh, how um, uh, injurious that is to working class interests. But, uh, you know, I would say the same thing in Canada, as I say, we're always a couple of years behind, but the, the same debates are happening now in Canada. And in fact, uh, I think it'll be a big part of our next uh, election cycle where the conservatives will make a big push to represent working class people because they they have been abandoned by the liberal elites in, in our country. I mean, what's happening right now with Trudeau is just ammunition. That's the way, yeah. I mean, that's how Republicans used against Democrats with the fund, the police movement, all that. Exactly. You, yeah. Everything that you say, like you think it may be like in favor of you right now. And because it has like this catchy um, tagline as Obama said, but it will come back to haunt you because if it, causes chaos or anything of that sort then people remember that people don't like well and don't forget that that's a very good point don't forget the same people that were advocating for defund the police a year ago are now invoking the emergencies act to give the police unlimited powers and how how does that work it's it's a it's crazy times yeah and that's i mean that's what we were saying it's like it's conveniency it's like when does this play into your politics and i mean i think republic like let's be fair here too like republicans are the same way because for the blm protest back in uh, at least united states they were all in favor of police like cracking down all of them even the nonviolent ones there wasn't much say call out to the police like holding back and not like disrupting peaceful protest and arresting peaceful individuals it kind of seemed like republicans turned a blind eye to that uh right civil liberties being expressed by those protesters so that's the whole thing it's it's that people or politicians in certain positions like Trudeau and say his cabinet members or say Ted Cruz and the Republican Party here they will call out the other side rightfully so but they won't say apply that when it's against their um, agenda or against their politics which a lot is- of glass houses out there yeah, which is it's dangerous because it just it just causes more division. There has to be like, and oh, um, Representative Omar coming out and saying that that means a lot. I may and you may as well disagree with her on the majority of issues that be put forward. But at the end of the day, if you respect my um, civil liberties and my right to do things, then I respect yours, obviously, regardless. But that that means something. Now we have right. common ground. We have a foundation to at least have a conversation. Whereas that you don't see that too, too common though, going on. No, no, it's uh, it's in short supply. I'm afraid my friend.
yeah, which is unfortunate. But I appreciate you coming on the show today. This my was, pleasure. Yeah, this was a very informative conversation. I think my viewers will love like your insights and your experience with everything. And it was an absolute pleasure once again. So thank you. And thank you for the opportunity. Of course. All right. See you guys. Thank you for tuning in.